Aloha, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of my podcast on A2D Radio. Um, we've got a great show for you tonight, mainly because we've got a terrific guest, uh, Hall of Fame coach Dick Vermeil, who will be joining me shortly. But uh, before I bring Dick on, uh, a couple of things I wanted to quickly uh, go over. Uh, first of all, the podcast has a new name. Uh, it's no longer The Bird's Nest. For legal reasons, it's been changed to Bird's Report. Uh, you don't need to know why, <laughs> just, just that it's called Bird's Report. Secondly, and much more importantly, last week, I asked for your help uh, in aiding the victims of the Maui wildfires over uh, in Hawaii, um, which destroyed the historic village of Lahaina on the Maui Island and uh, killed more than 115 people. And they still have hundreds that are still missing. Uh, so... Uh, the survivors have lost everything, and they need your help if you could spare a few dollars. As I did last week, I'm quickly going to give you a few ways that you can help the survivors. Uh, that information will run on the bottom of the screen also. So if you want to jot it down, please do. And, I mean, these people really need your help. Uh, they've got nothing left. They're, many have lost their families in the fires. Uh, they've lost their homes. They've lost everything that they've owned, every earthly possession. So... Um, one way you can help is by making a donation to the Red Cross. Uh, you can call 1-800-RED-CROSS or text the word Red Cross and make a $10 donation. Uh, you also can make a donation to the Hawaii Community Foundation's Maui Strong Fund by going to the website, and this is one word, hawaiicommunityfoundation.org slash Maui hyphen strong. You also can make a donation to the Maui Food Bank by going to mauifoodbank.org slash donate. And lastly, uh, humans aren't the only ones on Maui that are suffering. Uh, the Maui Humane Society shelters already were beyond capacity before the fires. And now it's just, I mean, they've got so many dogs that need homes. Uh, it's just unbelievable. Uh, so you can donate supplies to the Maui Humane Society by going to the society's wish list on amazon.com. Okay, uh, my guest, as I said, today needs no introduction. Dick Vermeil is one of the most popular coaches in Eagles history. Took a team that hadn't had a winning season in a decade and got it into the Super Bowl in five years back in 1980. Won the Super Bowl nearly 20 years later with the Rams. Uh, and last year was deservedly enshrined in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Uh, he is kind enough to spend an hour of his time with me tonight. So welcome to Bird's Report, Dick. Nice to be with you, Paul. Thanks for being uh, with me, Dick. I appreciate it. Dick, uh, you um, you know, this this was a year uh, after you were enshrined and you, were, you went back to the Hall of Fame this year uh, for the ceremonies. So I, I'm curious, what it was like to go back with that, you know, already owning that, uh, you know, the, the coat, the, the Hall of Fame coat, sports coat. I mean, what it was like to uh, to be there in in that capacity as a guy that's already in the Hall of Fame. Well, Paul, you know, it was much more relaxed. Uh, I had no concerns about somebody didn't get their tickets or their seat placement was wrong and all these kinds of things. Because, you know, I had a lot of guests when you coach three teams and three communities. And, and you have a lot of friends, coaching friends, players' friends, uh, community friends. It's, that was a concern. 
but uh, this year to go there, uh, much more relaxed. Had a lot of time to visit with other people that have already been inducted into the Hall of Fame. Like I spent a couple hours with Joe Gibbs and we talked about old times and laughed about games that we won or lost. And, you know, Howie Long and these kind of guys and my own players that I, uh, I had coached the Chiefs, Will Shields, I had a couple meals with Will and, you know, uh, had a great, really four days, most time with Harold Carmichael and B. And it was, you know, it, it was such a warm experience and such a, you know, I, I looked around the first evening there. They asked me to come in on the, the Wednesday night so I could attend the uh, the organizational meetings that people that supported the board meetings. And, and a lot of vests were there. And the first guy that walked over and said hello was Carl Oda. I was in awe, Carl Oda. You know, <laughs> I remember as a young coach, I, I hated that guy, you know, and that team, but Bud Grant. And all of a sudden, I'm st standing to talk. I spent 15 or 20 minutes to, talking with Dick Butkus. First thing he asked me is, how's the wine business? I, I was shocked that he even knew I had a little wine business. So those kind of things really added to the experience. And then the humbling feeling of, geez, you have the same coat on that he has on. I, I, I'm i not sure I deserve it as much as these people do. And uh, it was great. And Carol enjoyed it. Uh, we met a lot of wives that we'd never met before, you know, and heard a lot of things said. A lot of the old timers, you know, that there are not many of them are walking, standing straight up. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Gaines, walkers, <laughs> uh, and these kinds of things. But uh, yeah. I think we had 110 alumni at the event. Wonderful, yeah. wonderful experience for me. I'm assuming, Dick, that you went in uh, into the Hall of Fame and uh, walked around. Uh, what is it like to see your bronze bust there with three with all of those people like butkus and 371 other greats in the game you know paul i still find it hard to believe i belong with them you know when you come up in coaching like i did in high school and junior college and college and yeah. people say well coach uh, you're, you're a little bit too humble i said no it's not about being humble it's an honest feeling because i always held those people the landry's and of course bill walsh was one of my closest friends but all these other guys chuck Noel. You know, sitting mm -hmm. with all these guys, George Allen in there. And all of a sudden, there's my bus sitting there amongst that group. Like John Madden said, when the lights go up, they talk to each other. But I'll tell you, I don't talk. I listen to those guys. Believe me. <laughs> you saw earlier this month, uh, Dick, uh, the latest coach contributor nomination for the 2024 class. Uh, they went back in time for this one. Buddy, Buddy Parker uh, coached in the uh, 50s with the Lions and the Steelers, won a couple of NFL championships then. Uh, he was selected over a, a group of your contemporaries, people like Mike Shanahan and uh, uh, Tom Coughlin and Mike Holmgren, Dan Reeves and Marty Schottenheimer. Curious what your reaction was to that, because I know, I mean, it, you, you want to see them expand this and, and put in two coaches each year. Uh, well, I think one that's... Yeah, Paul, I, I thank you for bringing that up. I'm sort of an advocate for if they put in a coach who deserves it, like the man you're just talking about that has deceased, right. why not add one that's still alive before we have too many going in in a deceased bracket? You know, I, it's just, uh, you know, I, I believe this or not now, as a young coach at Stanford, when the Detroit Lions came to play on the West Coast. They stayed at Ricky's Hyatt House and worked out on Stanford campus. And we would go watch them 
practice. And, you know, Don Shula was on that staff. Okay, Buddy Parker's staff. And they would take us to lunch and that kind of stuff, a whole coaching staff. And it was such a thrill to be in the room with Buddy Parker. And then Don Shula was just Don Shula then. He wasn't the image he is today. But, uh, you know, I, I remember, you know, I did the same thing with the, the Green Bay Packers and Vince Lombardi. You know, it, yeah. it was fun because being right there with Ricky's Hyatt House being just a few miles away from Sanford campus and that, that happened often. So it was a great, it was a thrill for a guy like me, you know, in his early thirties yeah. coaching the freshman team or working the offense later at Stanford. And here's Buddy Parker and I bet there's Don Shula and other old timers. And it, it was a fun atmosphere. Yeah. Yeah. I know this year, I mean, Don Coriel, who, who went in, obviously passed away 2010. So, I mean, his family had to accept the uh, award yes. for him, but I mean, Don, was a guy that I mean you told me I mean you ran his offense uh, with the Rams I mean essentially right well the basis of it got started there you know I knew Don very well because a good friend of mine Rod Dauhauer was his quarterback yeah. coach and I brought Rod with me to UCLA okay yeah and I became head coach at UCLA in 1976 Rod was my quarterback coach and, and yeah. finally so I used to spend time in the Coriel office down there in San Diego state before he became the Cardinal coach. And we would share ideas. And if, if you gave him a good idea, you'd walk out of the little tiny meeting cubby hole and you'd see it being run on the practice field. He loved new ideas and he would always give you new ideas, but you know, it was different than in the off season. We had so much time to study what everybody else was doing in the NFL. And when I, and I would talk to him about what I saw and what I thought was good and what was getting better reactions by doing this and this and this. And uh, it was just, he was just, you know, he was so inquisitive, so humble and so open-minded about new approaches. You know, he had yeah. a great staff, you know, and uh, it was fun. Uh, not the kind of guy on, when you walked on the practice field, they'd walk out of the meeting and well, come over here in 10 minutes. Well, you run your drills over there. I'll meet you over here at this. Hip. They weren't detailed in the scripture of the program and practice. Like I was a nut and a lot of guys I've been around was a nut 30 seconds, you, you know, every yeah. minute was, yeah. he didn't coach that way. And, you know, <laughs> I got to know him well. I really enjoyed him. In, in fact, in 19, let's say I'm going back now, 1973, I was on, uh, 72, I was on the Ram staff that got fired and Don Coriel, that became 1973, the head coach of the Cardinals, and he offered me his offensive coordinator's job. Yeah. Unfortunately for me, the Rams asked me to stay with Chuck Knox, and I did, and I didn't have to travel, but I would have gone with him with great pride. I, I think that's one of the nicest compliments I've ever received. But I did take his mechanics because of Rod Dallar. I used him in UCLA. When I became the head coach of the Eagles, uh, I, I used them. And uh, I think it was the first time his overall mechanics, the numbering systems and all these kind of things was actually introduced into the NFL. Yeah. Yeah. Dick, did you, have you been out this year to uh, the Eagles training camp at all? I was out there yesterday, Paul. Yeah. Yeah. And they were working against the Colts and, and you right. know, it's, it's, it's different and good. And uh, I've never seen so many skilled guys, especially receivers. They're going to cut players that could play for a lot of teams. Okay. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think it would be fun to have that kind of problem making the decision 
who you cut. Because there yeah. are some kids who are no names out there making plays. All the players today make a higher percentage of receptions that are being contended. Mike Quick was sitting next to me and Harold Carmichael sitting next to me, and they were saying the same things. In fact, yeah. the old days, you'd get mad at your quarterback if you threw it that way. Our whole <laughs> game was separation. Don't be that yeah. close to the defender. And so uh, they're impressive. They have a lot of talent, a lot, a lot of speed on the field. And uh, the seven-on-sevens were very good. Eagles truly had more good football players than the Colts did at the same time on the field. Yeah. You know, we've talked about this before, but I mean, your, your training camps were legendary. Uh, they're nothing. I mean, the, the contrast each year between your training camps and, and, and what the NFL does now, it just becomes even more stark. I mean, I think this year they were limited to 16 padded practices uh, during the summer. Uh, they have to have a day off every six days. Uh, you can't be on the field more than four hours a day. I mean, some of your practices were three hours regularly. Right. Um, I'm curious. I mean, the, the the goal now clearly is just get to the starting line with as it's few injuries healthy. as possible. Yeah. Um, and then worry about getting better. Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, what do you think of that compared to the way you did things back in, back in uh, you know, 70s and then 80s? Well, Paul, you have to do what you have to do. Yeah, if you remember, when we came here, we didn't have a first, second, third round pick the first two years. We didn't have a first or second the third year. So how do you get better? <laughs> how do you get better? You know, you just look at the same guy and say, I'm, you know, he can't do it. So we always provided an environment in which we could take that individual player and give him more work to improve his techniques so he could get to his technique efficiently enough to handle someone that might be a little better football player. And we yeah. did it in an intense environment. Now, it wasn't brutal or anything like that, but it was intense. And, yeah. you know, we have fewer injuries then than they have today. Fewer injuries. Because I think they were better prepared for combat. I think it's a good approach because now I'm older. And, I, you know, uh, I've given three eulogies this year. Yeah. Two of the three had CTE issues. You know, and I know some other players that have had issues that have worked through it. And so I, I think it's the right approach, but you've got to be careful of cutting back so much on the intensity. They're not compared for combat. Achilles tendons, 19 years in the league. I never saw one. Every yeah. team has them. Why? The, the individual attention in fundamental preparation is not given to the individual player like it used to. Just the sled yeah. work that, that strengthens the tendons and you're driving off the balls of your feet and these kind of things. Now it's every week you, someone tears an Achilles tendon. So you, so yeah. you really have to be careful of backing off to the point you're creating more injuries because they aren't prepared for combat at the intensity level that which the game is played on Sunday. You know, I was talking to Leslie Frazier, uh, the former, uh, fine coach, fine man, fine coach. Yeah. I mean, he, 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 he did a study that shows that right now the average of live reps uh, during the course of a training camp is each team gets no more than 10. I mean, where they're tackling to the ground, where they're playing it like real. A 10, 10 live reps in an entire training camp now. You know, that's just, you know, I mean, these guys, 
get to get to the starting line, they may be healthy, but I mean they haven't been hit. They create uh, their own problem. They're yeah. creating. They've got to be careful, Paul. And if we can't, you've got to be careful. Outsmart yourself. Outanalyze yourself. The game is a dangerous game. You know, I've never asked a player that I've been around since 1969 if he would do all over again. It didn't say he would do it tomorrow. Okay, he yeah. would do it tomorrow. I think 95% of them know that there's risk factors, health issues yeah. in later in life. But they love the game, especially today. They love the money they're going to make. And uh, they're willing to sacrifice some injury issues later on in life. I spent 15 minutes talking to Dick Butkus. He was leaning on two canes, okay? And it was a great conversation, you know? But I was around all those kind of guys at the Hall of Fame. And uh, yeah, Carl Eller walked over with the walker to say hello, you know? Uh, so there are those issues. But people know in the NFL that's an end result in many situations. And, yeah. and I'm worried about getting more injuries game day now because they aren't prepared. I've always believed, and I can't prove it. Prothro told me this. George Allen hinted it. Chuck Knox hinted it. That players at full tempo, full intensity, learn to self-protect upon contact. They know they're going to nail somebody. Their body is tensed and ready for it. It's the other guy that isn't ready for it. And uh, you need a, a percentage of practice that prepares you for that tempo on Sunday. I believe that. Yeah. And I, yes, maybe get more injuries. But Paul, I think I've told you this before. Stan Walters played left tackle. Guy Moore, center. Jerry Sizemore for seven years for me. In between the three of them, they missed five starts. Yeah. including playoffs and practice were tough and tense and demanding. And today they laugh and joke about it. Okay. <laughs> now they might have a headache today and, you know, and one of them is gone and guy more is passed, mm -hmm. but, uh, 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 we got to be careful. We're not overprotecting. You know, it took Stan a while to warm up to your uh, approach to football. Yeah. Um, as you well know, you, I think you told me last year that, Coming off the field at training camp, she made sure to stay away from him because you knew he wasn't in the mood. I didn't want to hear it. And, and yet, when I talked to him last year, you know, he said, you know, if, if you called him now, I mean, I think he lives in Boston now. If you called him now and told him you were in Harrisburg and had a flat tire come down and pick me up, he would get in his car in a minute and go down there and pick you up and no questions asked. Which and, is, you know, you're right. You know, it, it's amazing. A, a deeper bond is developed between people in the more intense environments. Yeah. And there was no free agency. These guys are going to stay there go home. They aren't going to go yeah. over here, all these kind of stuff. So, and, you know, and, and he has told me that himself in, in different terminology. A lot of guys yeah. have told me that. And they would all go back and do it all over again. They would may not enjoy it, but they would understand it but they appreciate the bond it developed. We have 19 guys off that Eagle group in a Bible study once a week right now. Okay. Created by Steve Kenny, who is a walking injury today. He's a brilliant, <laughs> brilliant businessman. He flies in here in a private jet 
and takes me to a Clemson game. Okay. That's how successful he is. But, but they would all do it over again because they know it's just, I've often, because I grew up around auto racing. Yeah. You know, auto racer, even more so in the old days, they got a race car. They may not finish the race. When they go offside, they could end up out. out of, yeah. They lose their life, but they know it. I think most pro football players know the risks they're taking. Okay. Yeah. The risks they're taking. And this weekend, this last weekend, we had two, three guys down for the seam like for the count. You know, they're taking off on stretchers. They're all oh, fine. God helped them, you know. But uh, that's the nature of the game, you know, yeah. and, and it's also what made the game. Yeah. People didn't come to see a powder puff derby. You know? <laughs> they People enjoy the violence of the game. Yeah. yeah. And it's the most popular sport in, oh, in America. And it's growing. Yeah. And it's growing. Yeah. Dick, uh, you're in a, you were in a similar situation back in 1981 to the one Nick Sirianni's in right now. You made it to the Super Bowl, lost to the to the Raiders in 1980, and came back the next year uh, trying to get back. You know, he's in that situation. You know, having lost uh, last year in February, uh, now trying to get back, and 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 the numbers clearly say it's not that easy. I mean, oh, as you God. well know, I mean, it was you you uh, barely made the playoffs in 1981, even though you were off to, when it got off to a six and two start, I believe. Yeah, uh, we were six and zero. We're the only undefeated yeah. team in the league. Yeah, that's right. And we're eliminated in the first round. Yeah. Um, but there's only been, I think there's only been one team since the, in the salary cap era that has gone back. It's lost in the Super Bowl. Made it back the next year, and that's the Saints. I mean, the the Patriots, Patriots. who made it back in 2018 after they lost yeah. to the Eagles in the 2017 yeah. Super Bowl. Why is it so difficult to get back there? Well, I know in my situation, uh, you you improve your team through the draft, to, and then you didn't have the free agency and all that kind of stuff. What I did. And I look back on my own self now. I I was so excited. I remember going four and zero and telling the kids in the locker room after we beat, it was a Thursday night game against Chuck Knox. I think they were undefeated at the same time in Buffalo. I said, guys, there's nobody in the National Football League that can beat you guys. Nobody, unless we uh, unless we get cocky and. But what I did. I kept taking the same guys and kept trying to make them a day better all the way through that season. I wore them out. Yeah. They lost the edge of the quickness. And the other thing we did in the old days, we didn't add much offense or defense. We, we fundamentally tried to improve players. We didn't really technically improve our scheme much from week to week and pretty quick people zero in a little bit more on your scheme. And you could only get a guy so efficient in his fundamentals to the point he's his ability is developed and now you're wearing them down and i i really believe i wore them down you know i've talked to some other coaches tony dungy a couple of other guys who said another problem mentally the teams have that go to the super bowl the following year is 
it, it, it's hard to do it step by step by step to get back to the, you know, they would like to just snap their fingers and be in, be in the playoffs again and yeah. start there. And instead yeah. you've got, you know, they don't want to, it's hard to do the, the week by week work to through, through three, four months of the season to get to that point uh, and start over again. Well, Paul, part of it, and you're in the media and been in a long time. So you recognize the difference. I am, I'm a fan now. The start of the season, the Eagles aren't talking about playing New England in the opener. Everything is a buzz. Are they going to be a Super Bowl team again? Or they're talking about yeah. playoff games in it. And I, I think it diffuses the focus on why you go on the field every day. And they can all talk about, oh, we're getting a little day better. But it, the, the vision is beyond the opener. The vision is beyond. Yeah. And they're thinking down the road, like you just said, like Tony said. And it takes yeah. an edge off. You know, the game is still a combat sport. And to get ready for combat, you mentally have to, you know, it's a, we don't raise kids like we used to either. The kids aren't naturally mean or tougher kids that you get today, you know. So yeah. I, I think that uh, what Tony says is true. And, and I really believe it's true that the mentally, you just start assuming, well, we did it this way last year. It's good enough, you know. Plus, take a look at the Eagles' schedule. Yeah. You play a lot of playoff teams, especially toward the end of the season. Now, your job is to keep the losers losing and win over 50% of the games against playoff teams. But that's, it's tough to do. I've done enough studies on that stuff to know. Uh, uh, when I was coaching late at the Chiefs, the guy best at it was Parcells. He was best mm-hmm. at beat. Now, he might get beat by a losing team like my Ram team when we were losing. We beat him one time. Okay. Uh, but he, he, he could beat a higher percentage of other playoff teams by the end of the year than other people were doing. And so you, yeah. you got to keep the losers losing and you can't lose to too many playoff teams. If you do, you're not going to be in it. Super Bowl teams also have a, a target on their back every, oh, every no. week. They're part of the motivation. Uh, for, for, yeah, they should pay you a bonus for motivating everybody else. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, Don Shula once time said to me here in Philadelphia, the old vet, we beat them here, and they were a good team, and we were becoming good. Came in, he said to me, Coach, how come your team always plays so well against mine? I says, Coach Hula, you are the best. You helped me get my team ready. <laughs> and they did. You know, just yeah. his name. But, you know, and it's true. He had Belichick. He's won 70% of his openers, okay? 70% of the opening games. Only Tom Landry. Tom Landry won 17 in a row, okay? Yeah. 17 in a row. And it's hard to do, but those kind of guys motivate you and they help motivate other people around you. This is talent wise, this is one of the league's best offenses, Dick. I mean, yeah. Jalen Hurts last year was amazing. His wide amazing. receivers that he had. Uh, a question for you is what you know, when you've got a team like that, every defensive coordinator in the league has spent the offseason watching film of you, trying to figure out how to stop. Uh, Jalen, how to stop those wide receivers. Um, as an offense, you kind of have to evolve, don't you? Change things yeah. up knowing that's coming. Yeah, you know, the thing is the rules help you. The rules haven't changed much. If the rules ever change, they change in favor of the offense. So uh, uh, Paul is, is still the advantage to the offensive staff. It's you know, you got 11 guys against 11 guys. Like Sid Gilman told me one time, coach, no matter if you can stay up all night long if you want to, but there's only 
always going to be 11 guys on the other side of the scrimmage. They're not going to be 12 or 13 on Sunday. There's 11 guys. And uh, it's so true. And you've, uh, uh, you've got to be careful offensively to not try to get too smart. Yeah. And pretty quick, you're not executing things uh, new that uh, you executed well last year that were new then. But now you keep adding to it and your package evolves and pretty quick it dissolves. It, you're not quite as succinct and, and yeah. precise, especially early season with the way the t- training camps are going today. You know, and uh, all the formations and the motions and the movements and the alignment positions and all that kind of stuff, it creates a little bit more of a distraction for both the offense and defense. So, but uh, the Eagles have no weakness offensively. They have no weakness. Now they're going to play some teams that are equivalent that have very few, if no weaknesses, but they will always have an edge offensively over a defensive team. The rules give you that, you know, they got attack. Those got too many guys that can catch the ball. And, and Jalen right now, yesterday, I I don't think I saw him throw a bad throw. <laughs> and the yeah, other really. thing, like, I was on the phone with my quarterback, Trent Green, today uh, from the Chiefs. And I said, yeah, you know, one year you were there, we led the league in drop passes. Today, they're, the average receiver catches balls. In the old days, they wouldn't even try to catch. They catch yeah. the contested ball on the field yesterday. Young kids, I had a look. I didn't even know their name. Who is this guy? Catching in an intense environment, coming down with a ball. So, and, and, and all with all the coaches, you've got 23 coaches on the field. They bump into each other, you know, but very yeah. little, very few things get overlooked. You know, you got somebody coaching you every minute. Yeah. Jake, what's, I mean, you mentioned Jalen. I mean, what's his ceiling? Is, it, is he still, has he not reached it yet? Uh, you oh, think he has he's, no, he, 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 first off, he has not reached it talent-wise. You know, regardless of what everybody says, everybody changes a little bit when you're making $50 million a year. You know, I, I've heard guys say, well, I didn't change a bit. Yeah, you change a little bit, the way you think and everything else. But uh, Jalen is, I think, less likely to be negatively influenced by a major contract and everything because of his overall environment, how he grew up. He Every night at the dinner table, they're talking football. His dad's a football coach. You know, they weren't talking about a jet plane he's going to buy when he makes a lot of money. You know, they were talking about football and the games of life. And he, you know, like the Sports Illustrator article, he he thinks about what he wants to be and presents himself that way. You know, yeah. and I, I don't think he's spontaneous. I think he's programmed in a positive way. Uh, I don't I don't see any weaknesses. I re- really don't. And uh, yeah. I, at first, I thought he might have an issue uh, when I watched him on a practice field and play a little bit uh, of it. He may never be an elite, per- high percentage thrower, but uh, that's a, I've eliminated that thought now. I really, I, I, he has really improved his overall accuracy on every ball he throws, plus his receivers. A group of them, as a group, catch more balls than other receivers on teams won't catch. So that raises yeah. his percentage, you know. And, but overall, his just reflection as a person, as a leader, uh, uh, he, he will, he, yeah. He, he ran the ball 165 times last year, which was the most of any quarterback in the league. Um, 
Now, about 50 or 55 of them were quarterback sneaks or kneel downs, but that's still a lot. Um, does he need to run less, or or do you think he's fine uh, with the style of game he plays right now? I think he'll run as much. I think he'll run a little bit more intelligently every time, every season. Because as I said earlier, I people develop a self-defense system in intense combat. You know, even in war, Navy SEALs, when they're doing what they're doing, they're still thinking about not getting killed. <laughs> yeah. they're, they're And they're killing the other guy. I, I think when he runs, he'll be a great runner, but he'll be prepared for contact. And he'll respond yeah. accordingly. I don't think he'll be reckless. Okay. Yeah. Dick, I want to take you back to the beginning of your career, or even earlier to, I mean, you, you told me coaching was not, when, when you were growing up, you weren't thinking, I want to be a coach someday. I mean, you figured you, I mean, your plan early on was probably to become a, a mechanic right. and join your dad in the business and maybe start a garage together. Um, don't tell me how that changed. Your high school coach. My, my dad loved football. And my dad would always tell us, the three sons, My I'm the oldest son. I have a brother 11 months younger and a brother eight, months, uh, eight years younger. Mm -hmm. And we all played football, a lot of it. And uh, he always told us, when you're coached properly in football, you could take the principles you learn on a football field and live your life properly. <laughs> they teach you to do your job. And, 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 on, and they teach you to go to work when you don't feel good. They teach you to go to work when it's hot. You know, all the kind of things that he thought that was a great. So I always heard that. So I, I was expected to play football. My senior year, when I'm, I'm talking about a school of 129 kids total enrollment, 29 kids in my graduating class. Yeah. Uh, Bill Wood, his first head coaching job out of College Pacific. He was a teammate with Eddie LeBaron and those guys. He mm -hmm. comes in and he, he takes over. He moves me to quarterback. We were in a single wing the year before I was the tailback. And we only had 20 kids playing. And uh, he, just, he just the way he talked. It went, and then all that it impressed me and how positive it was. And then he, went, again, he says, you know, Vermeil, you can play college football if you wanted to. And no one ever told me that. I wasn't thinking about going to college. My dad was going to build a new garage, Vermeil and Sons, okay? And we were going to be there. And he was in auto racing. And I want to be a race driver. I want to drive race cars. Now, but anyway, my brother did, okay? So that's how it all got started. So I went to junior college to catch up because I hadn't done anything academically. And I walked on at San Jose State, and I made the team, got a scholarship, and said, just kept growing on me. And I kept going back to Bill Wood because now he has a big high school job. And I'd go back and spend weekends with him and talk football and all that. And I was going to be his assistant when I got out of college. So the very first year I got out, he didn't have a job open on his staff. So I took yeah. an assistant job at, as at head track coach at Del Mar High School. 1959, taught freshman English. I set those kids back a little bit, though, though they did know how to run off tackle. Okay. But <laughs> it, anyway, and uh, the next year I got a head coaching job. Yeah. So I couldn't, I couldn't go be an assistant for him. And from then on, every time someone offered me a job, I took it, you know, yeah. and every one of them worked out positively for me. So I was very fortunate, but no expectation yeah. to end up sitting here talking to you about having been in the hall of fame. <laughs> you know, that first head coaching job uh, was at Hillsdale High School Hillsdale High in uh, San Mateo, California. Yeah. I believe you had, what, seven or eight 
of your former players from that yeah, team. We did. Uh, yeah. Canton, when you got inducted last year. I still think of them as kids, okay? But and now they're 79, 80 years old, okay? <laughs> but my first year, we lost the championship. My first year, we lost it. We were, we were picked to finish last in the conference because everyone graduated the year before, and we were lost 14 to 7 in San Mateo. Yeah. The next year, we won it undefeated. Gave up 29 points in eight, nine games total for the as on the defense. And we are a good team for, for that era and that yeah. district. And uh, uh, they were great kids. And it's amazing how successful so many kids were. And I'll tell you, when they are together and they tell stories on me and I listen to them, that they talk about how tough it was and how they enjoyed the sweat, the hard work, the contact, and, and the feeling they got in, in uh, coming together. They won the championship 12 to 7. The team had first down, goal to goal on the four-yard line. All they needed to do was score, okay? We were ahead 12 to 7, and they shut them out. They talk about that. Now, here's here's a guy that writes the leading textbook in uh, uh, geophysics, okay? He's got he's in about ma every major university. He's on his, about mm -hmm. his 13th edition. Uh, 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 the, the tight end is a, on the board of uh, 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 trustees at USC, was a leading – Research leading, uh, what do you call it? Emergency surgeon. Uh, the other, the, the other kid passed away. Both offensive tackles have passed away. And it's amazing how successful these kids have been. One guy yeah. that didn't go to college made more money than all of them put together. Okay. And, uh, and there's him on wine. He's in my wine club and I'll see him in two weeks. So, you know, they, they develop relationships and bonds in that carry with them today. You know, I don't. I don't think too many people realize that you had to moonlight as the swim coach uh, yeah. when you were teaching, when you were coaching at, at Hillsdale at, at the first head coaching job, and and didn't right. lose a. I believe. I think you told me you you did not lose a varsity meet in three years. Within the conference, no, we did not. We won the championship all three years. One year we won all three divisions, APC, but you know, we just worked hard. You know, I didn't really know what I was doing. But the yeah. year before I got there, they had a kid named Ted Stickles who broke the world record in the 200 IM. And he went to Indiana to swim for councilman. So I wrote him. He's leaving. And he sent me all their workouts. And I modified councilman's Indiana workouts to incorporate them in my high school workouts. And kids just kept getting better. Now, they used to get upset and get tired. But. We, one year, we broke 43 records. Carol used to bake a cake for the record breaker. Okay. Each meet. Sometimes you have two meets in one week swimming. Yeah. You know? <laughs> 43 cakes you made more here. <laughs> so I learned a lot about working with individuals in swimming. Yeah. Uh, nobody works as hard as a great swimmer. Nobody in any sport. It is amazing how those guys work. And he, today it's even more sophisticated. But uh, yeah. I learned a lot about working with individuals. I really did. And, uh, Dick, you rose through the ranks. You get you, 75. You take uh, you, you upset Ohio State uh, in the in the Rose Bowl with UCLA. You get a call from Jim Murray and Leonard Toast offering you the Eagles job. Yeah. Uh, you've you had no intention of taking it at the time, right? No. 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 I did not. I just saw Jimmy Murray 
last Wednesday morning, I draw or Thursday morning, I dropped by and spent an hour with him. He's he's had some health issues, you know, and as you get older, everybody has health issues. His are more serious yeah. than mine. But anyway, uh, yeah, you know, Jimmy's a great salesman. Uh, and he sort of, I can remember half the conversations. It took me four days to go meet with him. And one reason I went to meet with him, my UCLA staff, I told him, guys, you can't believe what just happened today. I got a phone call from the general manager. They flew out and they're in the Beverly Hills Hotel here, just blocks away from UCLA, talking to me about being a head coaching job. And I said, I'm not going to go. We're going to stay here and all that. On Monday, I come back and then they'll say, hey, coach, you're crazy. You ought to go talk to him. My own staff telling me that. So I went and talked with him. And, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm, it was a tough decision, but it was a good decision. My family voted not to go. I gave them a vote. Not to Unanimous. Go. Unanimous not to go. And, uh, you know, every once in a while you get to make tough decisions. And if uh, you make the right ones and surround yourself with good people, you got a chance, you know. Yeah. I love the story. I mean, wife carol was outvoted was out uh, uh voted well actually she won the vote but uh, you yeah. went against it twice because uh you took yeah. the rams job yeah and you you told me the story where she was teaching she was taking a french class yeah and uh, after after you told her that uh, you were you were coming you know you were going back to coaching and coach the rams she said if i knew how to say f you in french i would yeah she did that's exactly what she said yeah now she went along and she did her normal great job once we got there but uh that was you know it was the first year was really tough really yeah. tough uh but see we could work at that time like we worked with the eagles but the advantage i had there paul i had first round picks Second round picks, yeah. third round picks. I had free agency. I was not. I still didn't use, overuse free agency. I just never really believed in buying players. Sometimes you mm -hmm. do it, uh, but anyway, in three years we're in a Super Bowl. With the mechanics of today, I don't think we would have been able to do it. No, yeah. It did, but, but just because there was only nine players left on the roster that I took over three years that went to the Super Bowl, nine yeah. guys. Football tell you because they play. Oh boy! <laughs> now you had to change your your style when you came out of retirement and took the Rams job. I mean, it was a fifteen year difference. Yeah. Uh, things had changed. Players had changed. Uh, I know you. I remember you telling me. I mean, first of all, you had to change your coaching style. You had to delegate more. You had to. Oh yeah, I had to. No question. Yeah. yeah. No. Well, you know. When you come up the way I did, when I was a head coach in high school, I had one assistant. Okay. He was at the Hall of Fame. Okay. 90 years old. Right. Okay. He, he was at the Hall of Fame. In junior college, when I was a head coach, I had one assistant. When I was a head coach of, at Stanford University freshman team, I had one assistant. So I, I was not used to having a lot of people. And you just coached everything. And you learned everything. And you were uh, – but uh, when I got to UCLA, I ran my own offense, coached my own offense. And you're – Hey, you're doing the practice schedules. You're programming the offensive practice. You're doing all this. You're just, you're running everything. And uh, when you're out of it 14 years, you can't go back and start like that. Even though you've been around the game, you haven't been in the game. And so I knew I had to, I hired the most experienced staff in the National Football League. I mean, they were all old guys, Jim Hannafin and these guys, we're up there in age, uh, but right. they really helped me. They really helped me. And, I invested more time in the main things 
the overall, you know, when you take over losing, you walk in the building, you can smell losing. You can see it on everybody's face. It's amazing uh, how gradually we change the attitude of the building, let alone the football player. You know, uh, we, we raised the re, we raised the respect for a player walking in the building by the people that were already working in the building. You know, the, the people working there looked at the players as if they're losers. They weren't losing; yeah. it was the players who were losing. So, you know, we, we raised we shook them up. We shook them up. But you that know, took you, it took you till about the third year uh, before you kind of eased up on them, right? Uh, as far as changing, I hired Mike March to come in and coordinate the offense, and uh, I called Mike March in. Uh, I, I was starting to, because I planned the whole training camp myself, every minute mm-hmm. of it. And I called him in. I says, "Guys," and Peter Junta and John Bunning had been with me the year before. You know, yeah. So, guys, yeah, we're further along than we've ever been. Here's our practice routines. Here's what we've been doing. How do we tweak it? And they said, Coach, well, we don't need these two periods. So we take 25 minutes out of the practice schedule. Okay. Because, uh, and then all of a sudden you go out and start practicing and they're going off the field in two hours and 20 minutes or two hours and 15 minutes. And all of a sudden on a second, you know, the double days, instead of having pads on every double day, only one practice with pads on. You know, they, they really responded it as if uh, because they knew the difference. They knew what true hard work was. Okay. And yeah. I can remember Marshall Falk. God love him, boy. When we got, we traded for him and had second, had an extra second round pick and a fourth. We traded and got him in there. But uh, he had never worked in a training camp like ours. And we had yeah. worked against them in training camp against Indianapolis in practice like they did yesterday. And they, they would practice go off the field. Now they left. We'd stay out, finish the practice we normally had. So he comes with us and he says, oh, my God, I'm traded to, to the Rams and they work like they work. <laughs> but I'll tell you this, when he got there, he became a better player and he was already an all pro. Yeah. But we did we did taper it down. We did and control it. But the first so two you, years. You, we- I, remember, I remember being out there uh, visiting your training camp and doing a story that that summer. I think it was right about the time. I mean, you were a lot of optimism. And then Trent Green wrecks his knee, and you lose yeah. your starting quarterback. And and you've got this guy, an arena league refugee, who was stocking shelves in in Iowa at one point. Uh, had thrown, I think, Kurt Warner had thrown eleven passes in the the year yeah. before. Uh, and the next day, you go in front of the, the 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 media and utter that famous quote, which is in the movie American Underdog. Uh, we will rally around Kurt Warner and we will play good football and you go out and win 13 games and he throws 40 more touchdowns. You break the NFL scoring record and win a Super Bowl with him. Uh, I think I asked you this last year, but when you said those words, did you believe them? I believed it would be a good football team because I believed in him and because he had been my third quarterback the whole year. And when you're, and when you're a head coach and not coaching a specific side of the ball all by yourself anymore or a position all by you see more on the practice field and i kept watching this guy and i just i i told before the season started i told excuse me i told john shaw the president i said john this is a playoff football team now i don't know how far we're going but this is a playoff team it's a good football team 
And he said, don't tell me that. Every coach I've ever hired told me that. He says, well, anyway, I'll bet you it's a good football team. And But I did not anticipate it being that good. Nobody yeah. has ever, ever done what Kurt Warner did his first six games in the National Football Not first-round picks, Not none of them. Yeah. You know, 18 touchdowns, three interceptions. He, yeah. he, his quarterback efficiency rating – Average over six games of 124. Okay. <laughs> you know, it just, he was amazing. Amazing. And uh, and then the defense has caught up and got a little better on us. But uh, yeah. he, you know, nobody knows what a guy that's at this point do once you throw him in under the pressure. Some guys, yeah. some a lot of first-round picks, they just – Boom. They don't see it. But uh, Kurt Warner had the ability to slow the whole thing down. Yeah. It was never fast for him. When he went on the field, he could, he could process information like he was a veteran. I, he's the only okay. guy that, that could do that. Yeah. Kurt ended up making the Hall of Fame. Uh, right. And then last, last year, uh, they sent him to your cabin in Chester County to uh, – yeah. Tell you me, wanted yeah. to notify you, let, let let you know that you had made the Hall of Fame, which I know was like the, you know, I mean, Kurt said it was one of the thrills of his life to do that. And when I talked to him last year for a profile I was doing on you, he had one of the great quotes. He said, we were only together for a very short time, but to this day, it still amazes me the impact Dick had on my life and my career as a man and as a player. The greatest compliment you can give any coach, and it speaks to Dick, no matter who you talk to, is he leaves a deep impression on you, whether you played for him in high school or in college or in the NFL. Fortunately, I mean, that's, that's how, yeah. That touches me. Thank you. It tears me up. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, the relationships you develop yeah. uh, in coaching, when you, uh, it, you have to have a philosophy that they're important to you. You know, uh, it, they're lifelong. Like I said, I talked to Trent Green today for 25 minutes. Yeah. The guy he replaced when he went down. And I, then I, yeah. I gave up a first-round pick when with the Chiefs and brought him there. And, and no one would have given a first-round pick for him, but I thought he could yeah. play. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm not bragging when I say this, but I had great luck with quarterbacks. I had never coached a team that wasn't all-conference, all-American, a Heisman Trophy winner, all-pro or NFL player of the year. As a quarterback, high school, yeah. junior college, college, and I, I was fortunate. Uh, but part of it was recognizing he's the guy. Kurt Warner, I was fortunate because yeah. I had the guy, and he went down. And then you make the decision to go with him, and that uh, was you know that wasn't a hundred percent agreeable decision on our staff at the time. But I had fifty-one percent vote on personnel. <laughs> Now, now you, you promised Carol that if you won the Super Bowl, you were going to retire. Right. Uh, but you've also said that you regret that, that you wished you had stayed another year or two after that Super Bowl. Why? Why was that? Well, uh, not because I think I would have done a better job than was done after me because they went back two years later. Okay. And right. they improved on offensive uh, stats. It's just that uh, I thought it was the right thing to do. I don't regret it. But if I had it to do over again, I wouldn't. Okay. 
if I had it to do over again, I would have listened to Sid Gilman and him saying, you know, coach, you can't keep doing what you're doing and keep coaching, you know, and uh, today they have psychological terms for guys like me, you know, I threw out the term on burnout. I had no idea what I was talking about, but uh, I, w- I was not a good listener, but I just felt I was reaching an age at the Rams and I have a, a coach of the year, first coach of the year award a, a trophy back here. It has all the names of the other coaches that won coach of the year that year. And a lot of them have been fired after they were head coach. And I said, <laughs> money has never been the number one priority with me. And it says, oh, why, why put yourself in a position to fail somewhere down the road? Go out as a winner and win the world championship and go home beat, you know, and when I got, when I handed out the Super Bowl rings in May at the party, I knew I made a mistake. Yeah. So, you know, you, really you, for, you, I wouldn't you, have gone back any other place, but Carl Peterson's like a, you know, like brother and son to me right. and, and Lamar Hunt. And then they were going to pay me a, a, a salary. You know, I, I was never in that position. I never had an agent, never had a football yeah. agent. So at any time, so I, I was never in I, it's maybe one of the only reason I'm the only guy coached three teams and I never got fired. Oh, I had a good relationship yeah. with the owner, you know. But anyway, I went back and uh, it was a wonderful experience. I failed yeah. in a way that not getting Lamar Hunt the Lamar Hunt trophy. But our third year there, we were the best team in football and got beat in the playoffs. You know, yeah. so we went 9-0. and we, we were a fine team. But defensively, we weren't quite good enough. And I never yeah. – we never improved enough. Our drafts weren't good enough. And we did, you know, anyway. That that your your experience in Kansas City, Dick, seemed, at least to me, to you're right. You didn't have the 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 the, the success on the field that you had hoped, but it was a good way to finish a career. I mean, you're playing for or you're working with your best friend, uh, your relationship with your players suddenly was so different. It was like a father-son relationship. You, yeah. I, I remember you telling me once, I mean, you, you guys used to, you and Carol used to have the players over to your house for barbecues and dinner. We've always and, done that. We've always done that. Since yeah. high school days, we've done that. Yeah. And, and, and Kansas City was where, I mean, Carol kind of, she worked with Operation Breakthrough, the charity uh, in, in, uh, right. in, in Kansas City. And I think you told me last year that, she she got an identity there that she I mean she yeah. still works her own identity with yeah she wasn't Dick Vermeil's yeah. wife she was Carol Vermeil uh, working yeah. diligently for underprivileged children in Operation Breakthrough you know Kelsey's brother in Kansas City has done wonderful within that program for him oh, yeah he's oh yeah he's, he's built the trade school for him that's the kind of people Kelsey's are they, but anyway uh, Carol uh, gave her her own. That's, a, I think, the happiest I've ever seen her. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Carol's still involved with Operation Breakthrough, isn't she? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Emotionally yeah. and financially. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Dick, I'm going to let you go. I can't I can't thank you enough for uh, spending time with me tonight. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was a Well, it was thank a you, Paul. Pleasure. I got a lot of respect and admiration for you. So I, I feel I know you real well. I've been here a long time. So have you. You know, uh, <laughs> people here have treated me real well. And Sylvia, and I appreciate it. Thank you. You take care and, and have a good evening. Salute, Vermeil Chardonnay. <laughs> <laughs> All I've got is a Dunkin' Donuts coffee. A uh, few quick house cleaning 
matters before we say goodbye. Uh, Eagles' final preseason game is tomorrow night, uh, 8 o'clock at the link against the Colts. Not expecting many of the starters, any of the starters probably, to play, especially since they had the joint practice with the Colts uh, yesterday. I think I counted there's uh, there's 16 players that have not played yet in the preseason, and they, including Jalen Hurts, and, and aren't likely to start tomorrow. Uh, they, you know, besides Jalen, their entire offensive line hasn't played in the preseason. Their top three wideouts haven't. Their starting tight end, uh, three of their defensive linemen, Cox. BG and uh, Josh Sweat, and both of their starting corners and, and safety, Reed Blankenship, all have not played in the first two preseason games. And unless, um, you know, unless Nick wants them to get hit at least once before uh, September 10th and they play the Patriots in the season opener, they probably won't play tomorrow night. Um, one other thing, Pro Football Hall of Fame announced uh, the three senior nominees for the class of 2024 uh, today. Uh, they were selected from a group of 12 semifinalists. The three are former Denver Broncos linebacker Randy Gradishar, former Bears defensive tackle Steve McMichael, and former Oakland Raiders wide receiver Art Powell. Um, all three needs, still need 80% approval of the, uh, uh, of the selection committee, which is going to meet in January. Uh, I was a little disappointed, uh, not that I disagree with those three, but – my colleagues on the uh, uh, on the senior committee uh, once again ignored Al Wister, the, uh, uh, the great Eagles offensive and defensive lineman who played on both of their uh, NFL championship teams in 48-49, was a four-time All-Pro. I don't understand how he's not in the Hall of Fame. It's 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 a crime. Uh, and I, you know, they, they, they felt, I mean, the, the coaching uh, selection committee was felt uh, comfortable going back in time to, to nominate Buddy Parker. I can't, I just don't understand why Al Wister wasn't one of the three people they selected, but uh, that's a matter for another day. So next week, we're going to have one of the directors of HBO's award-winning Hard Knocks series as our guest, Pat Harris. Uh, he's going to take us inside the banging in the series, which this summer has featured Aaron Rodgers and the uh, New York Jets, and has been a terrific, terrific watch. Uh, Hard Knocks is produced, as everyone knows, by the talented people at NFL Films, which is headquartered in uh, Mount Laurel, New Jersey. So until next week, uh, aloha, and be sure to help out the people in Maui. Take care. Good night.